We say good morning. Ready to open up your Bibles? Turn to the Word of God. What a pleasure it is uh, to open these Bibles up, isn't it? That's what we're about. As we uh, turn our Scripture uh, to 1 John, we're in chapter 2. And we remember that uh, we left off at the section about the warning of the world in uh, 1 John 2. 15 through 17, do not love the world. That's where we were at last week. And so we're told not to love it. As a matter of fact, we are to hate the things of the system of the world. Um, if we love the things of the world, then we are really not loving God. Um, in this section today, we have another warning. We saw that that was a warning when you have little children in the faith, when you have young men in the faith, and when you have the uh, the ones who are mature or the fathers of the faith, those three kinds of um, different kind of levels spiritually in the sense that we're all saved and uh, we're Christians, but there's different places or uh, in our walk where we're at. And so he gave them a warning about the world. This warning is about false teachers that John now goes into as he gives to his readers. And you can think of uh, the church in Ephesus. As uh, John is writing, and he's he's really concerned because there are going to be false teachers, and they're really apostates, and they're going to show who they are by what they do. So John knew these Christians needed to be very, very aware of different elements that can affect their lives. It can be the things of the world, it can be false teaching, and he wants to make sure that they know. So John wants them to know their assurance. You remember a major theme in the book of 1 John is assurance. You are assured of your salvation. If you are a Christian, he wants them to know that. He doesn't want to make them doubt. That's the problem. A lot of them are doubting because of the ones who are false in uh, in the church. So what John does, he gives them three tests. And every week, I always come up with these three tests, but by now I imagine you guys know what those tests are. One of them is a moral test to see if their actions will line up with what they say. The moral test is going to be, okay, um, somebody might say they're a Christian, but if their lives don't match up with it and uh, they're living terrible moral lives, then we have right to question if they are really true. Another test is the social test. John constantly talks about love in the book of 1 John. If you don't have love for your brothers and sisters in, in, uh, in the fellowship. If you don't have love for your brothers and sisters outside the fellowship that aren't even believers, we are to, to love everyone with the, the agape love that uh, we're given. So that's another test. So if they, if they hate people, then you can say, that doesn't look like a Christian. The other test is a doctrinal test. And that's what we're going to be getting into today. The, the doctrinal test of who do they say who Christ is. Now these guys, these false teachers, are really going to deny Christ. Now they are going to say they're Christians, but the major truths about Christ are going to be denied. And so they're going to demonstrate that if they tell somebody they're a Christian, but yet they don't believe in the deity and the humanity of Christ, um, other different things about Christ, if they, if they have other thoughts, then they're denying who He is. So that's a, that's a test. So there's three tests. 
all through John. They're, they're interwoven. And that's what we'll be looking at today. Now, uh, we're going to be dealing with truth. And we know in the postmodern world, there is a, a thing that they call uh, no absolute truth. Right? There is no absolutes. They deny that. So we as Christians are in a, in a war. We're on the front lines uh, against Satan, the world, and the flesh. We're in that battle always. Don't forget it. We have to be reminded every moment we are fighting something and we are in the battle for truth. Especially in the times we live in now. We are battling against uh, false ideas. We have to battle for the truth. And so we have to be standing for the truth at all times. Are you ready to stand firm on that? You know, that's uh, you put the uh, the armor on in Ephesians six, and one of those elements is to be standing, to stand firm. He keeps telling them that, and so here, this is where this is at. So there's a struggle between truth and error, and you experience that on a constant basis, don't you? The the error that's out there, and uh, we we have to hang on to that truth. Now John is going to warn about these false teachers, and. He's going to say they're going to be bringing things that look like they're truthful and they're not. It's one thing to have to fight against the world, is it not? And that's one thing that he's mentioned in 15 through 17. But it's another thing to fight tr- uh, with, with truth against error in the body of Christ, in, in what is called the church, for instance, and that's, that's the invisible church, where you're comfortable in your surroundings and yet knowing that there can be uh, something in the whole body of Christ that is very disturbing, that it is not truth. And you'd think that's, that you could let your guard down a little bit when you go to talk to another Christian. You know, anybody that claims to be a Christian should not be able to come up with things that go outside the lines. Now, there are things that Christians differ uh, on on certain secondary issues. We know that all throughout church history and from the Reformation on, there's been a lot of different debates, whether it be baptism and Lord's Supper and other things, and those are important, but that doesn't differentiate and say, well, because they don't believe in the baptism I believe in, then they're not Christian. We're not saying that. Um, But you could think as far as straight doctrine about who Christ is, there would never be any disagreement with people who are called Christians. And so that, that's what we're going to be addressing. You remember John was talking about the Docetists. And they believed that they were more spiritual than anybody else. So if we keep that thought in mind all the way through First John, it helps us. They are the elite. They're like the Gnostics that will later come. It's pre-Gnosticism, this Docetism. Uh, they were more spiritual. They were elite group. They had some kind of special knowledge. It was secret special knowledge. Hey, if you get over here in our group over here, then you'll know better and you'll know more. And uh, because those guys down there, I don't know. You know, they don't know anything, and uh, you know, they may not even be believers. That's what they're saying. So there's some Christians who are really having trouble with this. True Christians can be intimidated when the world comes along and brings forth philosophies and thoughts that totally disagree with what Christianity is. And sometimes these people are uh, seen to be the uh, the elite whether they're in the church or in the political realm, or it's politically incorrect to say certain things 
Like we know, like for instance, uh, if we preach against homosexuality, what in the world is going on there? What is happening there when people are even dragged to jail in certain parts of the, this country or other countries and Canada and such? And we know that uh, we know what is truth. But uh, we can be intimidated by those kind of issues. So these people that John is writing to, they felt maybe they were on a lower level. Uh, they wondered if even they had salvation. So John is going to give them some wisdom and some encouragement. We need encouragement, don't we? And that's what John is going to do. He's going to inform them that they have everything they need to discern who these false Christians were. And so this is what uh, where we're at. This is where we're going to start at in chapter 18. Or, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18 of chapter 2. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Have you noticed John keeps repeating things? He says a lot of things that he's already said and he comes back and hits it again. You know why he does that? Well, he does it because Peter does the same thing. I write these things to call you to remembrance. He wants to make sure that it is firmly in our mind and then we are continued to be reminded of that because we forget. (laughs) And I can identify with that. As soon as you think you have something down, you forget it. You know, one minute you're thinking of something and you walk into the next room and then you've already forgotten it. I I confess. Okay. (laughs) Here's the doctrinal test. Right here is where we're at. Who is the warning to? Well, the first two words, little children. Piedeia. And last week we looked at this same word that's in verse 12. I write to you little children. This word is one who is a little child. Uh, an infant, three, four-year-old, um, right? Those are the, the, the real little guys. Those are little children. But we found out in verse 13, uh, the second uh, part of that verse, I write to you little children, and that's a different word there. Uh, dealing with technia. Um, that is a child 
who uh, I'm a child of my mother and father. You are a child of your mother and father. Even when you're 60 years old or better, you're still their children. I have a brother. I uh, to my parents, I was I was their children. We we were their children. My brother, we still are. We're their children. So that's the word there. Uh, it can be an adult, could be a young person, could be a teenager, whatever. Uh, and so as far as a spiritual level here is concerned, I think first of all, this could be all of us because we are still little children and we're growing up, but on those, on those levels, on this paideia, if we stay in context, I think it's dealing with ones who are new Christians or Christians who need to grow up. And so they are uh, ones who are susceptible to false teaching, anything that can come along, they can shove in their mouth, right? They're the ones that are on the floor and they see something really cool looking, where the first thing goes, right in the mouth. And uh, so they need protection. So uh, that's what we're going to look at here. That's the way we're going to interpret it. Um, uh, you could probably have different ideas and commentaries. I won't push it. There's really no need to. But we know there are certain ones who have the propensity to be carried about by every wind and doctrine that comes along. Anything comes along and boom, <clears throat> they go with it. It can be uh, something they haven't tested out with. Uh, cults, mystery religions. <clears throat> I would say the enemy doesn't want us to get further into this. <laughs> but maybe it's just my throat that's up. <laughs> says, hey, <clears throat> you need to cough. Okay. Little children, it is the last hour. It's the last hour. What's he mean here? The last hour can mean something that we see throughout the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. It's the last day. The last days. Uh, To be uh, honest with you, I think this last hour, these last days we're in right now, we have been for 2,000 years, ever since the time of Christ. And that's usually how you'll see it interpreted throughout the New Testament. It's a period between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. When John wrote this, the church was already in the last hour. It is the last hour. He says right now. Now that doesn't mean that uh, you know Christ came back uh, at uh, the, in the next hour, and so we we understand that it's uh, the last days. This present evil age that we live in. Remember in Galatians, this present evil age. Uh, Hebrews chapter one verse one. It's the time that Christ has come and fulfilled what He came to do. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. These last days He has spoken to His Son. Christ, between that first coming of Christ and and the second coming there. We look in chapter 9, verse 26, all throughout... Scripture. Here's a couple of verses in Hebrews 9.26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but once now once at the end of the ages He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That's a little bonus there. He has appeared to put away sin. A little doctrine there. Expiation. To take it and throw it away. Boom, it's gone. If you're a Christian, your sin was already dead. That's what He did at the cross. Everyone who was elect... All the sin was taken away right there. That's expiation. It can't be taken out for anybody else but the elect. 
He put away the sin by that sacrifice right there. So how could it be for anybody else once it's been expiated? If their sin is gone, that means it's gone. You are one of the elect. You just need to be called. Right? Or yet. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Last days, he was indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So the last hour, the last day, the last days, last times. First uh, Peter chapter four, verse one. Peter again says, "Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." Uh, let's see. It's in this section. Uh, what, second verse? Seven. seven. Verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand, right? Okay, yeah. And that's what I had on the outline. Very good. Thank you, Penny. We saved ourselves six verses there. <laughs> uh, just setting up the context. Because of lack of time, thank you. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And, uh, you know, maybe I was thinking of First Timothy, but uh, I was definitely thinking of that one too. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. The latter times. What are they going to do? They're going to have deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Oh, Paul is writing Timothy. They're in Ephesus. Those are cell phones that do that. It's not even our amp. Ah, now we know the culprit. I heard that cell phone. Did you hear that? Anyway, I could go on. I have other verses, but you know what? I think we get the idea, right? Young people in the faith are very susceptible to the lies of antichrists. Alright? We know it is the last hour because there are so many antichrists. John said they they had. There were antichrists then. I think there are even more now. But he says, And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know that it's the last hour. So he says the last hour a couple times. The Antichrist. Let's start with that for a moment. You heard that the Antichrist is coming. That's a a future tense. The Antichrist is coming. There's different thoughts on that, but just to get a definition on Antichrist... And we're putting emphasis on the Antichrist. Anti actually means against. We know about that. Uh, He's anti-whatever, right? But it can also mean in place of. To substitute for. To come in the place of. And no no doubt that one who comes in the place of Christ, saying that he's Christ, a Christ, whatever, He's also going to be against him if he's not really for him. And if he doesn't believe the biblical truth, he's going to be an antichrist in that sense. Uh, but he's coming in the place of that can fool people, that actually people will think that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. John, whenever he wrote this, knew his readers knew what he meant when he said antichrist, the antichrist. That teaching had been around a while. Paul had mentioned about the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians, for instance. That was written before 1 John. 1 John was written late in the first century. 
John was the last apostle that was writing. And so uh, they knew very well that one of those letters could have been around. Maybe he had taught it to them. But uh, so there were references out of even New Testament writing as the epistles were being uh, passed around. There was also Old Testament writing uh, about this, dealing with the second coming of the Lord. Um, there would be one who would pretend to be Christ. If we went all the way back to Daniel chapter 8, um, verse 9. It says, And out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And so... Um, this actually is historical, something that has happened uh, before the time of Christ. And it was Antiochus who uh, went into the sanctuary. And, um, but also we see that the, there, there was going to be a, a destruction here. But it was pointing to something that would even come later. If you look in chapter 11, verse 31 through 38... And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and famine, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. Some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt, magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a god of fortresses, and a god which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. And so you can look historically and see how uh, the battles shifted and such and uh, then you can look at there, uh, there could be a very much a, a close to even our times. Who knows? One who comes along and takes over that land and does a, an abomination of desolation. Uh, he exalts himself above every god. He comes pretending to be the uh, one everybody looks to, uh, the world looks to. Um, Verse 11 of chapter 12 of Daniel, and from that time that daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. It's a daily sacrifice. And uh, if, if you were to look in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus speaks of uh, Antichrist and He speaks of Antichrist. So, and in 1 John, uh, we get that. Uh, 24.15 Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, which we just read, the prophet, 
standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. There was a 70 AD that happened. So it happened before Christ. And there was one that happened after Christ. And there very well could be the one that we're looking to because as Paul writes much later, uh, he talks about the same one in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, if you want to turn there just for a moment. Second, there's a lot, uh, a lot written in the Old Testament and New Testament about the Antichrist. Here he talks about an apostasy. It's the great apostasy. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So the word was going around that Jesus had already come back. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. When Christ comes back, He says, there has to be a falling away that comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God is in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He had taught them before. And they were scared that the second coming had already happened. Christ had already been here and they missed it. He says, don't you remember what I told you? And now you know what is restraining that He may reveal in His own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God will turn them over to their lust in Romans 2. Here He turns them over to whatever they want to believe and He sends them strong delusion that they believe the lie. Uh, there, there is one who is the lawless one. It's spoken of as He, not an it, not a system. We're talking about a personal pronoun. One who actually is. It's a man who's going to do this. Uh, there's going to be an apostasy and there's going to be this Antichrist uh, doing the working of Satan. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but at this time, it's going to even be worse at the coming of Christ. Don't have a lot of time to just be talking about Antichrist because that's really not the point of uh, the gist I think that John is at. He's just saying there's an Antichrist that's going to come, but there are many Antichrists now. We know it's the last hour because the time is ripe for Antichrist. In our time, the time is as ripe as ever has been, even more so. He could come, arise on the scene. There's been a lot of people that have made all sorts of conjectures. And you can go back to Hitler and Mussolini. And you can go back to Henry Kissinger even. They were calling him the Antichrist. And uh, then even um, Ronald Reagan, uh, they were counting the six letters in his first name and the six letters in his middle name, the six letters in Reagan. And um, 
at the time of uh, whenever he was being elected, people were saying, oh, you don't want to vote for him. He's the Antichrist. <laughs> if you remember that, I don't know. But anyway, it's kind of comical. Everybody comes up with their own ideas of who he is. And my goodness, on my Facebook this week, somebody called John Piper the Antichrist. Did anybody catch that? Anyway, that was a long thing that was strung out on that. It just went forever. Different people coming in on that. and That's, a, that's time to befriend somebody and boom, they got put out just like that. <laughs> that's enough. That's showing you some ignorance there. Um, but anyway, the Bible is clear that there will be one man, a final, most complete and powerful Antichrist. He's going to appear in the, in the future history. There have been types of him already. But this is a build-up. When the forces of hell are going to mount up and rally, we've already seen the times will wax worse and worse. Now, Antichrist, as John says here, okay, there's an Antichrist coming, but we already have what? We already have Antichrist back at his time. And we have Menarde. Uh He's going to be the last of the line of Antichrist. All right. There's been a track record of Antichrist since the time of Christ. There have been many who come in the name of the Spirit of Christ. And uh, Matthew 24, 24. Jesus said this. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect. Well, that's pretty deceptive, isn't it? False Christ, false prophets. Jesus warns of that. Uh, Mark 13.6, First uh, John 4.3, uh, John will mention it again. Um, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. So you're having all sorts of these uh, out there, but... What's the idea? It's the nature, the spirit, the attitude of the Antichrist that you already know about. He says they're coming in the same kind of attitude towards Christ. They're going to personify themselves. Many different persons have done that. They attack the deity of Christ. That's what John is warning. There's going to be many coming, saying they believe in Christ, and not even say they're Christ, but they're hostile to the true nature of Christ. When it comes to His deity... They challenged them. That's what the, the Docetists were doing. Or they, they were denying uh, the fact that even His humanity. And uh, so, they are trying to be representatives of Christ, but uh, at, and they're teaching these people. Anybody and everybody who rejects Christ, they don't necessarily have to be uh, false prophets or false teachers. They don't have to be false messiahs. All that's required to possess the spirit of Antichrist is to be against Christ. And people can say they're Christians and be Antichrist. We're going to take it all the way to that extreme. To John, this is another simple way of saying a non-believer. If you don't trust Christ and follow Him, one is a Christ rejecter. You're either one or the other. There is no middle ground. If you're a Christian, you are obedient to Him. You're obedient to His Word. John has already said that. So certainly, it embraces false Christs and false teachings. But make no mistake about it, Satan does not care how he deceives one. 
He doesn't care what it is. He's not bound by rules here. Only, only what God is going to allow him. Anyone who takes the place of Christ is what the devil wants. He'll settle for us taking a pseudo-Christ. One who looks and sounds like he's Christ. He will take that. That's fine. You say, well, I would think that he would want everybody to fall down and worship him as Satan and everybody be Satanist. He doesn't care about that. Matter of fact, one of the best ways he works is through something that looks real. He really has a good time doing that as long as people are not worshiping the real Christ. If he can get them to worship a Christ of their own mind or the teaching of a church or a cult, he's not out to make everybody a Satanist. He doesn't care what you bow down to as long as it's not the real Christ. You see what it is? That's how deceptive it is. And so people can get an image of Christ in their own thinking and bring Him down to the level that's real comfortable to them and now, in a sense, they are antichrist because that's not the real Christ. Well, what happens to these antichrists? What do they do? What happens once they have done their false teaching and such? What happens in churches and denominations? We've seen it throughout history. It happens today, and that's why we have so many denominations and denominations of denominations and then denominations of that denomination. And the longer the Lord tarries, the more denominations and cults we're going to have. It's going to become even more and more. So it is hard to tell if you're not into the truth of the Word of God. So how can a young Christian recognize antichrists? Well, that's what we go into in verse 19. Are we at verse 19 already? Okay. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. What he's saying, they never were Christians. They didn't lose salvation. They just simply never were. What they do is they apostatize. What is apostasy? These are apostates. What is apostasy? We've heard it. What, what is it? Well, apostasia is the Greek word. That's how we get our English word and simply means this. A deliberate abandonment. It's a deliberate being at a position and then to turn your back on that and defect. It's uh, abandoning the position that you once had. It's a defection from the, the real truth. Now, these apostates were once a part of this fellowship. They were so much a part of this fellowship, they were teaching in this fellowship. And then they left the Orthodox faith. Now, they might go over and have their own thing and start something that is not according to Scripture. And the first thing that they're going to change, that they've already changed, is their view of Christ. That's where we always want to test one who says he's a Christian. What do they say about Christ? They abandon their faith. To apostatize, apo, means away from. And the other part of that Greek word means to stand. It means to stand away from. They get completely away from the truth. They were over there. They are now clearly over here. Okay, To stand away from, they're not a part of that anymore. They look like they once were. They are showing evidence that they really not uh, are of you. They born in the name of Christ. They were baptized in the name uh, of uh, Christ, the Holy Spirit. Uh, they took communion. 
and then they left the truth. Now, they might have to have been booted out, but uh, when the truth is proclaimed and put forth, eventually those people are going to, to leave. They're going to show their colors. They're going to evidence that they are not Christians. That's why the Word of God has to be preached, has to be preached strong. Uh, and this is the authority. If it's not, then they're going to come in as weeds and nobody will ever know because those weeds are going to grow right along. And, and of course, Jesus warned us of that. But uh, when, when they're affecting the fellowship, that something has to be done. So they formed their own little sects and got away from uh, where they were at. They received new revelation. Does that ever sound familiar? We've had a defecting of the truth for decades in the body of Christ. You have groups that go out and say they have special revelation. I got a word from God. Here's what God told me. All of a sudden they have prophecies. They keep building up. Listen, those people were booted out of the church back years ago. Now they're, uh, they're in the mainline denominations. They get certain words from God that nobody else does. Well then what good is the authoritative word of God that we have today? I treasure this. Somebody that says that they had a word from God now have gotten something more than what this is. And the question I say, okay, if it agrees with the truth, they didn't get a new revelation. Something I hate to hear is somebody that says, I have something new. Well, the thing is, we don't want to have anything new. We're a church here that preaches old things. It's right here. It's the old Word of God. That's all I want. I don't want to hear new revelation. And the moment I hear that, I just turn it off. I don't want to hear it because it's ridiculous. They're claiming that they know a little more than you do. I, I have a special way to God. And, and you can see it eventually. The pride will be there. And that's why we have to be really careful. Check these people out when they say that. What, what do they mean? I get my truth from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. This is the authority. Nothing else is. We have churches that were built upon a new revelation. The Roman Catholic Church through the Dark Ages. It's still here today. It's been going for 1,500 years and they have new revelation. They, they tell people what is true. This is not the authority. You see, this is why this is so important. We have uh, the teaching of the Word of God. So they split the church by their false teaching. Charismatic movement did it uh, going back to, um, you think of the 60s, especially around the 70s. They started splitting churches coming into the main lines and uh, the church was already getting weak. The Word of God was not preached strongly. They, couldn't, they didn't know what to do about it. And some people got so nervous about it they quit talking about the Holy Spirit because that's all these people would talk about. And so now you have a major problem there. You just look at the history of it. I mean, that's, uh, it's something that has to be always detected. Um, this, is, this is what happens. Uh, elite knowledge. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We just read it earlier. But he, he, I think he makes it very clear there. Paul does to him. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart. They will apostatize from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits Catch that? And doctrines of demons. You can have all sorts of those kind of things going on today, whether it be the, the Brownsville revival, the Toronto, you know, those particular blessings down in Florida, down in Lakeland, Florida. You have something crazy going on. People are sticking to the floor. It might stay there for days. Just craziness. And if people would test out them with the truth, they would see that um, this is kind of what Timothy's talking about. It's, it's what Paul's talking about in the Second Thessalonians 2. There's something of uh, departing from the truth 
getting new things. Now, in verse 19, John says um, something here that also, I think, brings out that what true Christians are going to do, they will persevere. These guys that are apostates, they are going to show that they cannot persevere. And we only persevere because we are in Christ. He's the one that's holding us. That's a thing that we do do, but what it does, it just proves. It gives evidence that we are Christians when we persevere, when we go on through there. Um, these guys, um, they always uh, they have to depart. They have to get out because eventually it's it's not gonna, either that or they take over the whole church. The fake Christian is going to leave if the truth is there. If one wants to stay assured of their faith, what do you do? Remain faithful. If you look at yourself and said, "Okay, God has kept me faithful here," it's always God who keeps us doing that. Um, these people here did not remain faithful. The true Christians did. Many leaders of cults have started out in very orthodox churches where the Word of God was preached. You want to know some of them? Has anybody ever ever heard of Sun Young Moon? We know about that. Well, uh, this leader of a cult actually uh, grew up in a Presbyterian home. Joseph Smith of the Mormons was from a Presbyterian home. William Miller of the Seventh-day Adventist had been a Baptist pastor. Charles Hayes Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses actually was in a Presbyterian church before that. Mary Baker Eddy was a Congregationalist. So was Charles Hayes Russell. He was Congregationalist and Presbyterian. Reformed theology, folks, is where these people came from. What happened? Well, they became apostates, showed they weren't really real. They went out from them. They never were true in the false gospel. And so they started their own thing. They weren't true. Cults are apostates. Look at any cult. They're all apostates. You can tell that they're antichrist in that they stand away from the very truth of who our Jesus Christ is of the Bible. That's the first sign for a believer to tell if one is an apostate or not. Are they preaching Jesus Christ in the biblical way or do they have another new thought of who Jesus is? Did you know Unity believes in Unity Village? and I saw we were in Columbia yesterday and all along this one street, I think it's Broadway, we saw Unity Church and you know you look at that and say, well, are you a Christian? Well, most people say, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But not the Jesus that we would have in Scripture. Matter of fact, they wouldn't say that He died for the sin because they don't even believe they sinned. And then there was another uh, church. You know, it's buildings is what they are. They're, they're empty. There's a shell. There's no truth there. They're apostates. At one time, they might have been. But they went away because Jesus is too narrow. And Jesus is uh, something that they couldn't handle, so they made it the one they wanted. Uh, we're, what we're going to do is skip verse 20 for a moment. We'll come back. We're, we're staying on the same topic here dealing with these antichrists and apostates. Uh, so usually we go verse by verse. And that's what we're going to do today, but we're going to skip and then come back because John arranged it that way. So blame him. No, blame the Holy Spirit. No, we can't blame anybody. This is the truth. 22, 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 
Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Either he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John makes it so clear. And he'll say this over and over again throughout the rest of John. What's going on here? They deny Christ. The second way these young believers could tell if people were apostates was that they deny Christ. First, we see that they get away from us. Now, is it true that everybody's an apostate that happens to leave your local fellowship? No, no, we're not saying that. Now, if they turn away from the truth of the Word of God, believe something else, then they're apostates. Uh, they might go out shopping for other churches. I don't believe in that either. I don't believe in church hoppers at all. I don't think that's scriptural. I don't think that's good unless somebody is not faithful to the Word of God. But uh, if one is standing against the truth, then we can say, oh, yeah, that's an apostasy. That's exactly what that is. Well, secondly, they deny Christ. We already talked about that, but what are they called? They're called liars. John doesn't hold back anything. John, that's kind of politically incorrect, isn't it? To call somebody a liar. That sounds like not even a Christian to call somebody a liar, John. Well, the thing is, is that these apostates were actually probably calling the true Christians liars and probably calling John a liar. So he comes back. I'm just, I don't want to be inserting something here that's not, but this is a very good possibility. You remember, he's using a lot of the same kind of terminology that they've been using. You know, and the know, you may know that you have Jesus Christ. Well, they were around saying, we know the truth. And you are liars. We have the truth. So, he reverses and calls them liars. And that's the truth. <laughs> they deny the deity of Christ. Now, who is the liar, John says? If you deny the deity of Christ, then you deny the Father also. If you don't take Christ the way that He is, then you're denying the Father. They're, they're, they're equal with each other. I personally, through the years, me, Dennis, have talked to many people who said they were Christians and they didn't believe in the deity of Christ. Well, He's the Son of God. Okay, well, what's the Son of God? Well, He was, he was born of God. Uh, what's born of God? Well, in time and place, He actually came in, in the flesh and so He was born of God. Well, He wasn't here before? No. So He's Son of God. Is He God? No, He is not God. And you going around with this and you say, well, okay, look at the Scripture. You can go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Shows He's God. I mean, you know, God the Father is speaking to God the Son there, calling Him Lord, calling Him God. I can't think of anything better. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. What do the JWs do with that? The Word was a God. They just insert one little letter. Isn't that amazing? Uh, we can go on and on. I've talked and, with these people and almost all of them are in, were in cults. Started cults or were part of a cult. And you go and, and the deity of Christ is what you want to establish. And the more that they stand away from it, you give them the Scripture and they say, yeah, but, but, but this, it shows that we are gods. They'll go to that Scripture. And so explain that and go back to the Old Testament and then we're talking about judges, rulers. Elohim is the thought there. Let's to see, we're gods too. And now they've gone into what uh, a lot of the theology is in the in the in the body of Christ today, is that you are a little God. So, so Christ was a little God. No, that's not Bible at all. That, uh, that is a, that's a lie. That's a lie. So they always deny the deity of Christ. You will never see a cult that accepts the truth about Jesus Christ. Never. They're easy to detect. You know the old thing about a dollar bill and you have something over here that's counterfeit? 
a ton of dollar bills now. <laughs> but you can tell, you don't have to study a whole lot about what is false. You can look at the true and then look at the false. But it's, with technology today, it is getting a little harder. <laughs> but still, you, you can have ways to detect that. Um, every time you hand somebody a $50 bill, $100 bill in the store, what do they do? They put some kind of marker on it and boom, they, you know. Have you ever kind of feared, oh no, what, what do I do if this thing passes through there? I got it from the bank. <laughs> they may take the name of Jesus in the name of their belief, and, and in those cults, most of them say they believe in Jesus. That's what's tricky. The Roman Catholic Church says they believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, they'll even say that He died on the cross for your sins. Yeah, but did that sin really expiate whenever He died on the cross? Did it really take it away, or what else do you have to do? See, that's a cult. Roman Catholic Church, I'll come right out and say it. Hey, this is even on a, on a recording. I'll be politically incorrect. Roman Catholic Church is a cult. They deny what Christ did on His work at the cross. He did that, but we have to do this. Now we've added works. That is false. That's a lie, isn't it? So therefore, to me, that system, even though there can be Christians in that system, really what they are are what? They're apostates. They're standing away from the real truth. When we get down to the bottom line, they use terminology that we have. But to be real honest with you, when you find out what happened at the cross, justification by faith, by imputation of Christ's righteousness, they absolutely deny. That's the most important point. That's the central focus of the cross. What happened there? We are justified by the uh, very fact that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. They deny that. That's the heart of their religion. So, um, sounds harsh, doesn't it? But that's what the truth is. Let's call a cult a cult when that's what it is. Why do people today have problems with it? Uh, in the Reformed, uh, in the Reformation, uh, they call the papists, the popes, the, the whole system a false system. They call the pope even an antichrist. Some even call him the antichrist. And some still do today. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, for instance, it says there is another Jesus. Satan will oppose, bring in many people to oppose as Christ, to fool people, to deceive them. Um, the docetists said that the man, Jesus, was born in Bethlehem. Amen. Sounds like Christianity to me. He had no pre-existence. He didn't exist before until the birth in the flesh. So He came as a man. He was baptized in the Jordan River. What happened at the Jordan River? The Holy Spirit came upon Him and He had this enlightenment upon Him and that made Him the Anointed One. And then when He came to the cross, the Spirit left Him so He was born a man and a man only and He died as a man only. Therefore, really, His dying on the cross doesn't mean anything to anybody, does it? Now, you have to be God and man. That's uh, uh, essential truths of Christianity. Go back to historical Christianity. He is 100% man. He is 100% God. He has two natures. And cultists will always deny the two natures of Christ. They always deny the Trinity. Those are basic elements of the faith, aren't they? But yet, the, the Trinity is not spoken of much today at all. It's avoided. People today make up their own Christ. He's the one who gives you health and wealth. That's uh, much of the Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, um, your Oral Roberts, name them on and on. 
Ben, Benny Hinn, just you know, Creflo Dollar for all the dollars you can get. You know, send me your dollars, Creflo Dollar says, and that will give you wealth. See, that kind of stuff that people say, well, you shouldn't be naming names like this. This is very hateful, Dennis. You're supposed to love them. Well, I do love them. I love my people, and I'm going to tell them, here is what is false. Don't buy that at all. Joel Osteen is a false teacher. He is an antichrist. He's leading people into a wealth-type system. Uh, Did you know that uh, maybe Jesus is offered in the Mass? Sacrifice of the Mass. Jesus is being crucified again. And our Scripture says He died once. Did He not? Everything was taken care of at the cross. He says it is finished. Do you see how the Roman system is a cult? And yet you have many people today who would say, don't ever say anything against them. Listen. If people are wrong about the work of Christ at the cross, You need to take heed about everything that they're saying. What do they say about Christ? If they don't take the orthodox, true biblical view, you know what John calls them? Liars. They are liars. If you won't have the Christ of the Bible, you cannot have God. That's as simple as it is. If you don't take Christ, then you're denying the Father. That's what he's saying here. The cults. Arius, if you go back into way back in church history, early church, he uh, adorned Christ with the name of God, but he despoiled him of his eternal divine nature. Arius. Jehovah's Witnesses do that. Marcion dreamed that he was a mere phantom, he was a ghost that was here. Sibelius imagined that he differed in nothing from the Father, that Jesus was the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is Jesus, the Son. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Spirit. He comes in different modes. That's called modalism. That's old also. That goes back to, you know, all those things that the cults believe today. It's nothing new. They've already tried it before. It failed. People got kicked out of the church when that happened. Now you call that today and people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about him. He's anointed. T.D. Jakes is into modalism. The UPC churches, United Pentecostal churches, are uh, fakes. They are antichrist. They are in the likes of T.D. Jakes who uh, will not put it on his website anymore, but that's exactly what he believes. Modalism. That, uh, that was ruled out. The Unitarians don't like the Christ of the Bible. The Christian scientists, that was another one that we saw yesterday. The Muslims, that's up there in Columbia too, that's you know, here. The JWs, the Freemasons, all of those guys. Uh, works, salvation and such, and what do they say about Christ? Well, Second John verse 7 tells us there, in 2 John, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Those people exist in our time today, don't they? Matter of fact, they have the whole world deceived. They're going to big mainline denominations. I'm not saying denominations are wrong. Anybody who's preaching the truth of the Word of God about Jesus Christ or who He really is, I'll embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. They believe that and have that in their lives. Okay, well, how can you d- tell if somebody is an apostate? Well, number one, what do they do? They leave. Or they have their own teaching. They, they get away from it. Secondly, what, what do they do here? Well, they deny our Jesus Christ. 
Thirdly, they deceive. Verse 26. I skip again. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Oh, that's just the way Satan works, isn't it? Satan sends his false teachers into the church alongside the furrows, as you will. I'm going to read a comment here from John MacArthur talking about these deceivers. They come alongside the furrows where God has planted the true seed and He sows deceivers, this Satan does. Satan is the deceiver and that's the trade that he plies through other antichrist deceivers. They come into the church, they go into seminaries, they go into the colleges, they go into the denominational headquarters, they go into the church staffs, they go into as elders and leaders in the church, and if they're even able, they'll send right into the leadership of the church and may even become the pastor preaching from the pulpit what they had learned in seminary as they learned their newfound truths. They are true wolves in sheep's clothing. The false shepherd. These are antichrists who deceive. Don't have enough time, but in 2 Peter 2, you can read through that and see that. I'm just telling you, they're out there in some of the cults that anybody can tell, and then they're in some of the great big names like the Roman Catholic Church, and that's a little bit harder for people to shake loose because they use a lot of terminology and they've been around a long time, so they must be right. So, we bring that forth. How does one thwart this thread of false teaching? We've seen the three ways how they do it. How do we uh, thwart this? That's quite a thread, isn't it? Especially to who? The little children. New believers are the ones who are tossed about by every wind and doctrine. The television is loaded with it. You look at cable TV, you look at satellite TV, they have one channel after another full of false teachers. You can turn on channel 25 right here across the bridge and they have false teachers on there really denying the Christ that we know of the Bible. Incredible, isn't it? Okay. Well, true Christians do this. Now we pick up verse 20. But you, here's how you can tell, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I'm not written to you because you do not know the truth because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Okay. Anointment or anointing is dealing with the ointment of God. When you anoint the prophet, priest, and king, you put oil on him, he's anointed, he's now being recognized as that position. Uh, in this sense, you have an anointing. Well, guess what the other guys were saying? The guys in the know, they had the anointing. You know what? In the charismatic movement today, I've heard people say, yeah, but he has the anointing. T.D. Jakes, yeah, I know, he said some things I know that I disagree with, but he has the anointing. The anointing. What is the anointing? What is that? He was so anointed. Now, I know that that can be a good term. I don't want to run it down, but that's the, the term that's being used out there that was used back in the times of John. He has the anointing. He can speak false things all day long, but he has a special anointing. Look at all the people that follow after him. Look at all those that false shepherd and all the sheep going right to hell with him. Right? Oh my. True Christians are not deceived. We can detect this. We have the anointing or the gift of God. John is just saying, okay, they have the anointing. No, we have the anointing. We have the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter one. 
21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So, um, the other ones, they have this wisdom of the world, but we have the foolishness of the message. It, it was preached to us. It's the gospel. It's not uh, foolish. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world that we just saw, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Isn't that interesting? We have a spirit. Don't be intimidated, John says. Don't be intimidated by these people that have the knowledge, that have this anointing, because the Spirit of God resides in you. He is the true knowledge. You have the capacity to know what is true and what is not. You have the Spirit of God. You have the potential of being able to discern what is right and wrong. You have the Spirit. You can know these things. He's God who, who resides in you, right? Now, these enlightened ones that were in the church is the same thing that's going on today. Certain people are enlightened and people follow them. They have um, revelations from God. But if we're starting to say there's a little group over here that's elite, and they are the ones, then we need to depend on them for what is real knowledge. They're doing the same thing, folks. Wake up. What kind of stuff has come into the modern church, right? We're going back to Rome. When all of a sudden a certain group, all these different ones that are claiming all these new truths, that's the same thing that Rome did. The Reformation had to come along and correct that. God raised that up. That's what the popes of Rome have done. The Holy One. Who's the Holy One? In verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Lack of time. I do have some Scripture, but the Holy One is the Holy One is Christ. Christ is the One who anoints us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as Christians. He's always there. He will reside there for us all the way through. He's the teacher. Christians don't lack anything. We have everything we need. We have the Holy Spirit. We move to verse 24, which we skipped earlier. We come back to that. Therefore, there's the false teachers, but therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What you heard from the beginning, what they hear? They heard the Gospel preached to them. They heard the saving message of the truth. That they're sinners, that there is a holy God, and that we're bound to go to hell. And the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is the one who takes away your sin, place all your trust in Him, and you are saved. Uh, if you're a real Christian, you will show that He resides in you. Abide. How many times have we come along that word? Now, this is not hupomeno, but meno is in that word, which means to remain. It means to stay there, right? He resides in us. The Word of God resides in us. So now you reside in this. Not only does the Spirit of God reside in us, but what else resides? The Word of God. Second um, Timothy one three says, "Hold fast to the truth. Hang on to it." If you're a Christian, you are. You will do that. Hold fast. That's objective truth in it. We have the subject of Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we are His. We have the 
Spirit of God and also the Word of God which tells us what we are. Uh, we uh, have objective truth there. You know what abide means? To be settled. To abide at home. To settle. A permanent address. Holy Spirit resides in us and the Word of God makes Himself home with this permanent address. Stay close to the Word as possible. Have you been staying close to this? Every day, stay close to this. The Word of God is found in Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter uh, 5. It says, the Spirit of God abides in us. Lives in us. Dwells in us. And then in Colossians 3, we see that the Word of God dwells in us. Same. The, the two go hand in hand. There's no such thing as new truth. It doesn't exist. We have the Word of God here in the Spirit. And we find out in verse... 26, uh, uh, oh, he tells them, uh, they're going to try and deceive you. We saw that. Verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him, again, the anointing, abides in you, lives in you. You do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing. And you can say, oh, okay, so we're not supposed to have teachers? So really, it would be redundant for me to be here if that be the case. If we're not to have teachers and preachers, then we'll all just have, we don't even need to meet to have fellowship with the Word of God, right? No. We have the Holy Spirit who brings these truths that we read or hear taught to us, and the Holy Spirit then enlightens us to what that is. And we now get understanding of that. Holy Spirit is there. As we read the Word, He is teaching us. You know, so we desire for Him to, to do that. Uh, if you look in John 8.31, and we're getting ready to boil this down now. John 8.31, Jesus says this. Sounds very familiar. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, if you remain in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. Right? And then, and you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. What's He saying there? If you abide in the Word, if you continue in this Word, what you're going to do is show that you're really for real. Some people have been involved in a church for 20 years. And later they leave. And they might go to a cult. Just might not go to anything and say, I've had it with the church, I've had it with God, I don't even care about Him. And they just abandon it. And they show that they were never real. Possible. They, they didn't abide in the Word. They showed that they were never real even if it was 20 years ago. You, you show you're real by keep hanging on to this truth here. But not without the Spirit-empowered effort that He puts on us. So that's how we demonstrate that we are the people of God as it says here in the, in the promise of uh, verse 25. Uh, this is the promise which He Himself made to us eternal life. Wow. Thank you, John. That helps us. That helps. He abides in us. Isn't that great to know? John's message is for us today. We are living in the last days. We might be living in the last of the last of the days. Who knows? But we're increasingly having many terrible dangers that are at our door. But if a man is and a woman is drilled into the Word of God, if they have this, and they're filled with the Spirit of God, and they're thrilled with the Son of God, the victory of God will be ours. And that's how we tell if we are Christians and other people are not. And John makes that very clear, black and white. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you.